0: Welcome back to Lush Life. It's a new year and Lush Life is back to take on 2021. The next two episodes are sponsored by Atlantic Canada, which is the eastern part of Canada that borders on the Atlantic Ocean and includes the four provinces of Newfoundland and Labrador, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, and Prince Edward Island. Not only is it absolutely gorgeous... But for our purposes today, the folks there are serving up some great cocktails using some of Atlantic Canada's best ingredients. I'm Susan Schwartz, your drinking companion, and this is Lush Life Podcast. Every week we are inspired to live life one cocktail at a time. First, we head to Newfoundland and Labrador to chat with Dan Meads, co-founder of the Third Place Cocktail Company. And then we jet off to New Brunswick to meet Sébastien Wa, founder of Distillerie Fils du Wa. Newfoundland and Labrador has incredible landscapes, vibrant cities, and quaint historical ports, plus awe-inspiring mountain ranges, rivers, waterfalls, winding coastlands, and some great tonics thanks to Dan. After traveling all over Africa for work, he developed a love of cinchona bark, the main ingredient in tonic water. Returning home, he just couldn't find the exact product he wanted for his gin and tonic, so he decided to create his own. Thus, the third place cocktail company was born, but it almost wasn't. Here's Dan to tell us all. Now, Dan, I have a delicious cocktail in front of me. It is third place cocktail company tonic, gym, and some soda water. And I want to know how this got into my glass.
1: Yeah, I've got one too, so cheers. You know, it's kind of a long story. I'll make it as interesting for folks as I can. I I went to university here in St. John's, Newfoundland and Labrador, and while I was a student, I made a living playing the guitar. And so I was in kind of not very good cover bands in not very good bars, drinking not very good beer for a long time. And then at some point I realized that the beer was really inefficient as a method of, of the goal of drinking at that time. And so I switched over to gin when I was about 20 years old. And I got exceedingly good at drinking gin and tonic. I was just very well practiced, if nothing else. And I just loved gin and tonic. And to this day, it's my favorite cocktail. Certainly, the cocktail I've had the most in life has been gin and tonic. And so fast forward a few years, I was no longer a musician. I was living and working overseas in West Africa doing some development work.
0: Hold on, hold on. Now, the gin and tonic. Were you the only person drinking the gin and tonic of your peers?
1: Yeah. So there's a big rum and coke kind of culture here. And then later, in more recent years, The cocktail scene in Newfoundland Labrador has just exploded. We've got some remarkable cocktail bars here. Some people that are doing some really beautiful, imaginative cocktail work. But back then, certainly in the bars I was playing in, it was a bottle of beer or kind of rum and coke. Uh, If they were pouring any other gin and tonics that night, it certainly wasn't for a man. It would would have been considered a woman's drink. You know, and this isn't that long ago, right? I'm 40, so we're, we're not talking about that long ago.
0: No, no, it really isn't that long ago. Everyone says that it was kind of here in London, the grannies drink. Yeah. And every grandmother drank it. Yeah. So. You know, I didn't even know what a gin and tonic was until I was like 30.
1: Right. And so for me, I was just trying to get away from some of the sugar, frankly. I was finding, you know, the dark rum and Coca-Cola. I was getting these brutal hangovers and trying to go to university the next day and be smart. I just, I couldn't do it all. And I guess it never even occurred to me to stop drinking quite so much at night while I was playing the guitar. And so I switched to gin and tonic. And I, st- I still, the balance of sweetness and bitterness and botanicals, it's still, as far as I'm concerned, it's it's tough to get better than a ginotonic. It has a perfect flavor pairing.
0: I so agree. Now, now you said that something took you to the far reaches of the world. Yes. What was that?
1: So I was doing some development work for the Canadian International Development Agency, And so I was living in a place called Ghana, which is in West Africa, in sub-Saharan West Africa. And I was traveling through that part of the world quite a bit. And so sort of Ghana, the Ivory Coast, Liberia, Sierra Leone. And this is in my mid-20s. And in that part of the world, if you catch malaria, which is not an uncommon thing, you know, it's a scary thing, certainly, but lots of mosquitoes are are biting you and, and sometimes you catch malaria. And if that happens... Generally speaking, if you're in any type of city, not even a big city, there's it's really easy to get great medicine and, and they just treat you with, with, some, with some malaria meds and off you go and you're okay. You feel pretty rotten for, for a week or two, but you're generally okay. I was a little unfortunate. I was pretty far afield in northern Ghana the first time I got malaria and it was a little bit tough. I- yeah. you got it oh yeah twice sure and so the first time i just got real ill and i did I, and it, it was a little complicated to try to get me to somewhere a little bit safer and there was these really remarkable people were, were taking care of me and, and in that part of the world they know that Quinine, obviously, is that anti-malarial drug, right? So if you go to a hospital today or if you're going to take a prophylactic for malaria, you take a quinine tablet, basically. Quinine naturally comes from the cinchona tree, and it grows not naturally in sub-Saharan West Africa, but because of the way the world was colonized by British sailors, they planted quinine everywhere they went, Um, planted cinchona, rather, for the quinine everywhere they went. And so... I'm a 24 year old guy with this monster malaria fever chewing on cinchona tree bark to try to get some quinine and to start feeling a little better until they can get me out a few days later to a place where I can get some better meds and it was a remarkable experience and scary at the time but you know you're a 24 year old dude like you're invincible nothing nothing can really hurt you but I did remember the just unbelievable bitterness of this plant that that I was just chewing on and kind of put between my cheek and my gums the way you would with a cola nut or some other things and so i had this sort of relationship with the plant and also a relationship with the drink that eventually you know we'll skip the history lesson but gin and tonic came from quinine syrup on ships which was a malarial cure as well as limes on that sh- those same ships which was meant to, to stop scurvy and then gin which was Basically, just meant to stop the sailors from mutinying, and so all of that together, and you got the first gin and tonic in about 1802. And so, I, you know, I had I was great at drinking gin and tonic, and I I had this relationship with this crazy plant where quinine came from, and then I moved back to North America. And eventually back here to my my home of St. John's, Newfoundland, after many years of traveling. And and I was still pretty good at drinking gin back then. And I I had been drinking better and better gin because I traveled the world and I had an interest in cocktails. I'd kind of go talk to distillers and I'd I'd find interesting gins from around the world to drink. And it got to the point that I had stopped drinking tonic completely.
0: I have to ask, I was going to say, it's amazing that after eating the bark, that you would still like tonic and you weren't looking for a different mixer. Like, you know how sometimes there's s- some herbal spirits that may taste like cough syrup when you're young, especially if they're cherry flavored and you take one whiff of it and you think I'm never going to have that. That just is, is horrible. You know, I'm surprised that didn't happen with you. you tonic.
1: It was the opposite that every tonic I had after that type of experience felt too light and sweet. It wasn't bitter enough. And I felt like it was just killing the gin. And so I was drinking better and better gin, but still buying yellow cans of tonic water from the grocery store. And I eventually gave up on the tonic completely, and I was drinking gin on its own or sometimes with ice. But eventually I moved back here to St. John's, and I had this memory of this plant. And I was thinking, gosh, you know, there's got to be better tonic, and there are some good carbonated tonics out there none of them at the time were available here in st John's, so i was buying them from having friends in the uk ship them over and doing all kinds of foolishness and then i thought you know i bet i could make something just for fun and so i had some friends in peru send me up some cinchona tree bark which is where where that source of quinine is sort of grows originally and, and they were in the coffee business down there and, Cinchona was a bit of a weed for them on their coffee plantations. And so they, they just as a gift, sent me up some of this tree bark. And I started messing around with it on my stove (laughs) to see what I could do. And it's unbelievably bitter. I mean, cinchona tree bark is, it is literally the second most bitter natural substance in the world. And so.
0: Did did you just pour like tons of sugar in it? Sugar and water? Yeah. So
1: at first, so I was just boiling it on the stove at first to try to get this. Bitterness and this beautiful dark mahogany color out of it, and then thinking about like what goes great with gin. What do I like the flavors of? Like lavender and lemongrass and citrus. And how do I want like what do I if I'm making a gin and tonic myself? What do I want it to feel like? What do I want it to be like? And so I, after a few thousand tries just for fun on this little you know one and two cups at a time on a stove, I came up with what I thought was really kind of tasty. And I decided that this was a perfect gift for my pals for Christmas. And so I put it in mason jars with a sticker of my face on it and, and (laughs) my pals as a Christmas gift. And it was, that was, that was the full extent of the goal. Like we, I wasn't trying to start a business. I was just like, Hey, this is fun to drink at home. And I bet my pals around the world and here would enjoy it. And so I just put it in mason jars and sent it off to some friends. How much did you make? Oh, a few leaders then. I mean, I guess it would have been, when I think back now, I think it was 15 mason jars. And so just, you know, like 15 friends around the world, some here at home, and just off it goes with a Christmas note saying, hey, here's how you mix it. Give it a go. Let me know what you think.
0: Did you ever take it with you to a bar because you wanted gin from the
1: bar? And then- So I am insufferable <laughs> in that way. Uh, absolutely, I have done that. And ask for a gin and soda and then just pour an ounce of tonic from a little flask. You know, other people graduated <laughs> in their little hip flask, but I was keeping tonic in it. And I've got some friends from the musician days who were in the, in the restaurant and bar business here in St. John's. And so they got to know that, I, you know, they, they enjoyed this idea. And some of them were on that Christmas list. And so they were kind of in on the gag and really liked the product as well. And then one of the people that I gave this out to as a Christmas gift to was owned a series of retail stores across the country. And it had nothing to do with drinks. They're high end kitchen knife stores and they're beautiful knives and these stores are wonderful. And he called me up and he said, Hey, I really want to sell this in my stores. And I said, Kevin, it's not a business. I made it on my stove at home. Like, like, leave me alone. I got enough to do. And he called uh, a few months later and he said, Hey, can I get some more? Can you make me a a big batch of tonic? I just, I'm, I'm all out and I really, I want some more and I want you to reconsider selling it to me. I said, Kevin, I'm not interested at all. And then he said, how about if I bought the recipe from you? Ooh. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, what if I bought the, the tonic recipe? And then I flew you up here to Calgary and you could teach my staff to make it. And then, and then it's not yours anymore. It's mine.
0: Did, did a little bell go off? Like, ding, 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 if someone is willing to buy it.
1: Gosh, more, more than that. I said, that sounds great. Let's make a deal. Like you just like come up with a number. Send a contract. Like let's let's do this. And so a couple of days later, I ran into Chris Smith, who's an old university pal and still a dear friend, who's now the other owner of the Third Place Cocktail Company. And oh my gosh! Had-
0: I so thought that this guy was going to be Chris Smith. No, so this was not. That's no, no. Chris
1: on Yeah, yeah. And so I, I yeah. ran into Chris. He and I decided to pop into a pub for a bar for a for a pint, and we are just chatting, and we we're dear friends, but we hadn't caught up in a while. And I said, "Hey, you know, he was on the original tonic Christmas list. He'd gotten a bottle of it." I said, "Hey, you're not going to believe it. I'm going to sell the tonic recipe." And he said, "What do you mean?" I said, "Yeah, this guy, you know, wants to buy it." And so, you know, he threw a number out there. I'm waiting on like an actual contract, but I think I'm going to do it.
0: He's like, "You're crazy."
1: Chris says, "Dan, I love you. You're an idiot." Let's start a business. And I thought, Chris, the last thing I want to do is start a tonic business. That sounds like a lot of work.
0: I assume you had a full-time job at yeah, the same time. That's so right, yeah, that's
1: asked- right. Yeah. So my, my day job is, is still in sheltering work. I help run shelters for women and children fleeing violence. And so that was the same type of work I was doing over in West Africa years ago. And and so that's been the career this whole time. Mm-hmm. Chris and I sat down and had a few more drinks that day and, and hashed out what we thought might be a good idea. And we went for it. We launched this this business almost, it was five years ago now.
0: Why do you think meeting Chris or Chris Chris in your discussion swayed you from just selling it and then saying bye-bye to it?
1: Well, there's a few reasons. So I, Chris and I, as I've said, have been dear friends for a long time, and I, I, I love and respect him. He also has a really different skill set than I have. And so... The idea that Chris was going to bring his skills to a business that I feel like are complementary to mine. And so, you know, listen, I'm, I'm a long-haired kind of hippie dude and Chris is high and tight with all his buttons done up, you know, and, and he's, he's great, hilarious, charming, thoughtful guy, but he also, you know, can make his way around an Excel spreadsheet like a wizard and that's real tedious to me.
0: It was the Excel spreadsheet.
1: Yeah, it's part of it. And then also Chris's belief in the thing, you know, he's, he's an unbelievably smart guy. And so for him to say, hey, no, I think this is a thing, made me reconsider how I was thinking about it. You know, when you make something, it's easy to disregard something that you made with your own hands. Even if it took a lot of effort, it's just a thing you did. Like it's, you know, there's no magic to it. It's, it's yours. And so it can't be that special, right? You made it on your stove at home.
0: So, what were the first steps to starting up the company?
1: Well, the the first steps were a few things, right? We wanted to see what other people thought of it. At least we thought that's what we wanted. It turns out we had a bit of a tasting party at my place and and did some focus groups among kind of cocktail folks from here and some people that we knew were pretty fun to sit and drink gin with. And most of them said it's too bitter. It needs to be sweeter. It's too bitter. And I just wouldn't abide that thought at all. I think I think bitter in a cocktail is really the only way and it's borne out over time for sure. I wanted this thing to be different than a sugary yellow can of tonic. Otherwise what's, what's the point, right? And so then we started to think about how we wanted it to feel and how we wanted it to look. And for Chris and I, we sat down and, and said, what are the goals? Like, what do we want? What would be an appropriate sales goal for a year? But more important than that, are there any values? Like, is there anything we care about that, that we want to make sure this business has. And we came up with some that we still live to today. And I, I, you know, we, we live to them so much that it's easy for me to tell you what they were. And that's that we wanted to make enough money that we could share it. And what that meant was that everybody that ever works for us gets paid a living wage and gets to, gets to work in a respectful place that's going to treat them fairly and honor their labor well. The second thing is that we wanted to make products that were so good we were proud to put our name on every single bottle. And we do that. We hand sign every bottle that we make, still, and hand batch number every bottle of every product that we make. And so,
0: I, I noticed that when you sent me some some of your amazing products, I noticed it said, you know, handcrafted by batch number, and uh, there's there's your pen. Yeah, there's that's right. Pen. And you
1: know, part of it for us is that it just we wanted to make something that was just undeniably good, and that we were really, really proud of. And then we also wanted to make sure we were having fun that was the last principle for us is that it had to be fun and that owning a business can be arduous and really difficult. But if it isn't fun, then, then we were not going to really honor what this thing was supposed to be for us. Mm-hmm. So those were the first steps. And then it was finding a kitchen that we could use because we couldn't do it at my place. You know, you need a real inspected industrial kitchen and and to go from there. And, and you know, just to, we didn't realize what what this was going to turn into or how quickly. And so we had this sales goal in mind, this number that we thought, hey, if a year from now we've sold this amount, it's a real business. People are like, we. this is something we should devote time and energy and love and money into. And we met that one-year sales goal on day 22.
0: <gasps> That's incredible. We
1: couldn't believe it. I mean, we, we were... Were you just selling
0: to your area or had you... In Newfoundland and Labrador? We had
1: three retailers here in St. John's. And we'd, you know, at that point, a batch of tonic took us all night because we were working our day jobs and had families. And then we'd go and and cook this stuff all night long. And, And that would be 200 bottles. And so we'd get 200 bottles out of a batch. And we'd show up. I remember this was about three weeks before Christmas, five years ago. And we went to this remarkable coffee shop on Water Street here called The Rocket. And we sent out a little tweet when we were leaving the manufacturing space saying, on our way to The Rocket with a full batch, lots of stock for the weekend. And this was on a Saturday morning because we just finished our day jobs on Friday afternoon, went there, cooked all night, brought this tonic down. And by the time we got to The Rocket, there was a lineup outside Uh And we none of it made it to the shelf. All 200 bottles sold from the boxes that we were carrying them in.
0: How had people heard of it?
1: We, no, word of mouth? No, yeah, word of mouth. You know, we, we were really fortunate that the restaurant and cocktail scene here in St. John's was ready for this product. And so we've got some amazing restaurants here, places like Mallard Cottage and Raymond's, which are some of the best restaurants in the world. And they happen to be right here in St. John's, Newfoundland, Labrador. And so those places put us on their menu right away. And we're happy to tell people about it. And then, you know, people are worried it's different, and the product feels different than they've ever seen before. And so, people got excited about the idea of trying this new, weird, interesting thing. And it, you know, if you see our product on the shelf, it it looks like an old medicine bottle. It doesn't it doesn't look like it doesn't look like tonic.
0: Yes, you know, I I love your packaging, and I went through and tasted every single one, and I thought. Gosh, I could drink this by itself. Yeah, thanks. You know, yeah. as well. They're super interesting. Now, so you had the tonic going. That was obviously a huge success. Yeah. How did you plan on what you wanted to do next? Did you even think there would be a next flavor?
1: Originally, this business was called the third place tonic. We just thought it was one product.
0: Then- oh, wait. Well, no, let me interrupt you. Third place. Yeah, sure. Where did you come up with that?
1: Right. It's. I think if we had known this business was going to be a success, we might have named it something different. I love it still, and I'm glad we, we went this way. The third place is an old sociology term. And so in your life, the first place in your life is where you spend most of your time for lots of us. That's your home, especially now. The second place in your life is where you spent the second most amount of your time for most of us. That was work. And then the third place in your life was wherever you got together and built community and met with your friends so we wanted this product to do that kind of thing you know for us the third place in our lives for chris and i was always pubs and bars i mean always 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 we you know it never occurred to you to call your friends and say do you want to go see a movie it was like hey are we heading to the pub which one like that's and even if you weren't having a big drinking night that space was where you got together with people and so that's where the name comes from we feel like Anything that helps people come together and build community is important. And certainly a good cocktail is a great reason to get together with your pals, especially now when our homes are all of our places, right? In the time of COVID, your first place, second place, third place, all tends to be the same chair in your home a lot of the time. Absolutely. And so it's been interesting to, to make a series of products that are meant for people to experience at home. And, you know, that's really one of the goals for us was to do all the work for you. Right, like you do
0: make it easy
1: definitely Now we there's a ton of ingredients and so what what happened we we had this tonic that was meant for gin and then you know we were we we work with distillers and great alcohol companies and one of them makes a vodka here in newfoundland labrador called iceberg vodka and it's made from iceberg water and it's this really pure interesting vodka And, and one of the guys from iceberg came to us and said like we really love a tonic that's meant to go with vodka instead of this tonic that's meant to go with gin. And I said to him, you know, when I drink vodka tonic, I always want elderflower. It's like elderflower is the flavor that I want to sweeten things up. And it's a beautiful old British flavor and it tastes so good. And elderflowers are a remarkable thing that also grow here in and Labrador. And so I had been thinking about doing some, because because it was something that I like to drink myself. I've been thinking about elderflower as a potential Second product, maybe, and there's some products on the market that were beautiful elderflower syrups and elderflower liqueurs, but again, they were just too sweet for my palate. I just didn't like all the sugar. And so we we produced elderflower, which is meant to go with vodka. And then we thought, gosh, this went really well. We should think about what else we want to do. And that's when Chris said, Dan, I I already have a thing in mind. He's a, he's a bourbon drinker. In the same way that I'm a gin drinker, Chris is a bourbon drinker. And the same way that I like to think about gin, Chris likes to think about bourbon. He said, Dan, I, I, he, he, Chris has traveled a ton as well. And he says, you know, I've been to these amazing bars and you sit down at a bar and the bartender takes 25 minutes and he makes you a cocktail where he's smoking something over here and the ice cubes are a special thing over there. And then, you know, he charged you 10 or 12 pounds for the thing and you got to wait forever. And then he presents this cocktail. And it's perfect. And it's almost always a whiskey cocktail for me. And I want to make a product for whiskey that makes you feel that way, but that you can mix at home. And and I thought, sure, man, but like, like, where do you start? He said, oh, you start with the flavors, Dan. You start with like, what do you want it to taste like? Like, I know what I want. I want it to taste smoky because it's going to pair with the bourbon well. And I want it to be really astringent. So I go back for more. And I want it to be floral. And so we started with this beautiful smoked tea, this Lapsang sushiang tea. from I went to tea school for a long time. I love good Chinese tea. and We use great tea in all of our products. And so we started with this beautiful smoked black tea and some rose petals and rose hips and hibiscus flowers and got to work. And the product is called Ginger Rose and it mixes with whiskey and it's a total home run.
0: You know, the way you're talking about food, and, you know, you've created a lot of different flavors. Are you a cook? Do you love cooking? Were you, did you cook when you were young?
1: Yeah, so I love cooking, and Chris is the best home cook I've ever met. He hates it when I say that. But Chris, Chris the food Chris makes for, for his family at home is as good as restaurant food you'll find anywhere in the world. It's fun, like a, a random Tuesday night in Chris Smith's house, and you get a monstrous plate of food. I love to cook as well. And, and I spend a ton of time thinking about food. My mom was a a pretty great home cook and that was a way that we related. And so food's a big part of our lives and, and certainly a part of the cultural experience here in Newfoundland Labrador is getting together and sharing from visitors everywhere, really. And so we do think about this, you know, we think about the ingredients the same way we think about ingredients, like a great chef would. And we source those ingredients with a, like we're very, very picky, you know, like we're, Where the lavender comes from matters to us. Where the vanilla beans come from matters to us. Where the lemongrass came from matters to us. And And we're really picky and fastidious about making sure those things are in line.
0: Since bourbon is this thing, how long did it take you to agree on the ginger rose?
1: Oh, not long. It took us a while to get it exactly right. I loved the idea. I like whiskey as well. I, again, you know, I'm a, I'm a gin and tonic sort of fellow, but but I do love a good whiskey cocktail. And so when Chris came to me with that idea and said, you know, I want it to be a smoky whiskey mix, I thought, gosh, if we can pull it off, I think it's beautiful. And then it took us a real long time. We worked on that product for almost a year before it was ready to be released. It wasn't, it wasn't a linear process for us to get that to a point where we were really excited to put our names on it and put it out into the world. And then we came up with another one, you know, rum and coke.
0: Well, I was going to say, you said something before at the beginning about everyone drinks rum and coke, right? So you have a cola.
1: I think that a good, like, like a proper Coca-Cola in a glass with some ice. I don't drink this sort of thing ever, but I know it's a perfect taste experience of bubbles and delight, right?
0: You just want a coke and <laughs> oh. only coke will do.
1: Family. And so, you yeah. know, years ago, living in West Africa, you'd you take these cola nuts, which is where the name cola comes from, is this West African nut, and you put it between your cheek and your gums, and it's just this remarkable, delicious, bitter, nutty taste. But the part of it that I love best when I lived over there is that it's just this caffeine drip into your body all day long, <laughs> and that's beautiful to me. So when it came time to think about what we wanted to pair with rum, we wanted it to be a cola, but not you know, all of our products are all natural. We don't have any chemicals or additives. There's nothing in these bottles that that, you, that we aren't proud of. And so we thought about making a cola from the original cola ingredients. And so cola nut and vanilla and starting there and seeing what we could do to pair with really amazing rum without making it too, too sweet. And we came up with a product that's, that's I love our cola product. It's great. And it's great with just carbonated water, just some fizzy water and you get like a fancy cola in your glass right away. But then if you pair it with rum, the way it says on the bottle, I think, you know, you you get a, a rum and Coke experience, but just to the next level, it's a different a different thing altogether.
0: And the last one that, that I tried was the Rattler. So you obviously went back to your beer roots, even though you didn't like beer, to make beer palatable. Yeah, taste. so
1: I, listen, I can enjoy a nice cold beer as much as anybody, but I I the thing that I loved more than anything was there was this renaissance of rattlers happening in the world. And a rattle of course is this German concoction that cyclists found years ago when you mixed beer with lemonade. And I loved it. The problem for me was that they were, there were two things about it that I didn't like. They were too sweet.
0: I was going to guess, was it too sweet? Yeah. But the
1: second thing is that it's so inefficient, you know, getting a, a rattler that's it's two and a half percent alcohol, it just feels like your half of my glass isn't what it's supposed to be. And so, we were working with a great brewery here in, in Newfoundland and Labrador, um, called the Port Rexton Brewery. And, and we were talking to them about what we loved about beer, what we loved about cocktails. And I was telling them, you know, I've run, I'm, I'm a runner and in these long races, sometimes it's really nice to have something refreshing to drink, like a rattler when you're part way through. And we just, Chris and I decided to take a crack at making a rattler that wasn't going to be too citrusy with that you could mix with a full strength beer. And so using our product, any light beer, so a lager or a nail, you can add an ounce of our Rattler and pour it on some ice. Uh, and you get whatever beer you love turned into a nice, herbaceous, citrusy Rattler. And it's we love it. And we, we uh, the places that buy the most of our Rattler is breweries that want to use it in their, in their brew pubs because they want to be able to pour a Rattler. But making a Rattler can be an arduous process for a brewery at times. And so it helps them kind of really pair with their beer and, and expand their menu options.
0: Oh, I have a question. You're, you're from such a beautiful part of the world and are there any specific ingredients that you, cause you talked about cola nuts and things that you get from far, far afield, yeah. which, which ingredients have you used that you've gotten locally or thought, Oh, I need to use this in something yeah, that's just- from Newfoundland and Labrador. Yeah,
1: there's a bunch. And so, so there's two that I'd love to just make sure people know about that I think everyone understands the virtue and the value of, but not necessarily that it grows on this beautiful little rock in the North Atlantic that I live on. One of them is juniper, right? I mean, the thing that makes gin, gin, yeah, no is juniper. And we don't have what we would call high bush juniper, which is what you know most great distilleries around the world use. We have this little scrubby tiny bushes of juniper that that grow along the coast and along the rocks and it's it tastes different than juniper anywhere else it's saltier it's the berries aren't as juicy they tend to be smaller and harder even when they are ripe. but it's a remarkable and we use it in our elderflower i jokingly say that all vodka should take tastes more like gin and so in our product that we have to go with vodka we added a bunch of juniper in there so you get a little hint of that juniper gin flavor in it and it's it's great newfoundland juniper is a a beautiful thing and the second thing is that we make some seasonal products that we only sell here in newfoundland and labrador one of them is called wassail we sell a christmas tonic
0: You know, I saw that on your website and I was like, oh, how am I going to try that? Well,
1: spoilers, we're going to do, we're going to do something new this spring. In the time of COVID, we're rethinking the way we want to do small batch stuff. And so folks will hear this, no doubt, before it's released, but we're going to, we're going to release a spring tonic this year that's made from Newfoundland spruce tips. And so spruce trees grow here. And again, they tend to be kind of stunted smaller trees than than spruce trees are when you think of sort of a big majestic spruce but in the spring of the year when the buds first start to come out on on spruce trees the tips of them are edible and they're delicious they smell kind of Christmassy, but they're tender you can pickle them you can fry them you do all kinds of fun things with them. we don't do any of those things but we do use them in we, we dry them and then the following year use them in our holiday product because it tastes like christmas but there's a great tradition in this part of the world and in some other parts, too, where in the spring of the year, you head into the woods, or my grandfather would do this a lot, and you'd pick a bunch of things, including spruce tips, and you'd make what's called a spring tonic. And it was meant to, you know, keep illness away and just keep you nice and strong. And spruce tips were a big part of that. So we're going to make a nice spruce tonic, and that's an ingredient that I just, I love, that grows. I mean, you, you know, you can't go for a run in the city without seeing spruce trees budding in the spring of the year. And it's just, it smells great, and it tastes unbelievable.
0: You you kind of probably answered my next question was you've created all these fabulous things. What's next? What are you planning? Anything new?
1: You know, we've got a bunch of things in the works that we had hoped to release in 2020, but obviously like all of us, 2020 kind of put the brakes on some things. We've got other products in the pipeline that are ready to go that we chose not to release this year for a whole bunch of reasons. We had just launched in the United States in late 2019 and early 2020, and we're going to make sure we we do a great job of building that market again in the post-COVID world before we put anything new on the shelf. We're going to do a couple of special small batch things in 2021 that we're just going to sell on our website to anywhere in the world so folks can check us out, thirdplacecocktails.com. And we're going to sell some really cool things, including hopefully if if there's enough spruce tips around a beautiful spruce tonic that I think is going to be a real hit for folks. And then we've got some other ideas. You know, I, I, the cocktail world changes so quickly and it's done the changes in how we think about cocktails and flavors over the last even five years, certainly 10, but five years has been unbelievable. We've been learning with everybody else and, you know, traveling around the world back when that was the thing you could do and having these remarkable bartenders make these remarkable cocktails for us. We've been thinking about how we want to make products that are going to fit in on those best, you know, we're we're lucky that we're on some of the best cocktail menus in the world and we want to stay that way. And we know that we got to keep up because all these tiny distilleries are making unbelievable spirits.
0: That is definitely true. Something that you've said has really struck me that there's a through line from the beginning of what of your career to now, which is community and how important that is. I mean, the work that you do outside of the third place cocktail company is so important. I know we just brushed over it a little. It just seems to me that that is inherent in everything you do.
1: I think Yeah, I mean it's, I think for all of us that's the case, right? Whether we're as explicit about it as myself and Chris try to be with this business or if it's just how you find joy in your life. I think, you know, we're all learning a little bit more about ourselves and how we relate to each other in 2020 and recognizing that those little things that we used to take for granted maybe we need to pay a little more attention to. And so just those quick conversations with your neighbors or folks for me, it's the people whose names I don't even know, but who I interact with when I drop my kid at school and that kind of thing. I really miss those interactions and that that sense of community in this time of COVID when we're, when we're not doing that. And so, you know, we've been really amazed by how many people have been reaching out to us to say, Hey, we just had a, a virtual cocktail night. We really loved your products. It's been really great to be able to share this stuff. And so for our, our
0: you know, a business that
1: we hope would help people come together and also help them drink better, right? Like you don't need your gin and tonic can taste really good at home. Like it can, and it doesn't need to take you forever to make it in order to do that and help people build community at the same time. It's been really fun. It's been one of the few sort of bright lights of 2020 for us.
0: Yes. Yes. And with every sip that I take of your products, I will think of that. So do you have any top tips for the home bartender?
1: Yeah, I've got a couple. The first one is be really fussy about your ice. Yeah. Ice in your home cocktail is the secret ingredient, right? And so if it's been kicking around, open to the air in the back of your freezer and it tastes like those frozen peas that it was next to, you're, you're really not doing yourself any favors. And so make good big block ice. It doesn't need to be perfectly clear when it's not a photo shoot here, but just take take your ice seriously. Make it with good water and keep it away from everything else in your freezer inside a plastic bag, and, and you'll be a little ahead of the game there. And the second thing is just drink what you like, you know. Like, you don't need to make the world's driest martini at home for it to be the right martini for you. If you like it with too much vermouth in it, that's the way you should drink it, and that's the way you should share it with your friends. And so when I'm bartending at home, you know, I want to be able to have the best gin I've got, And never save good gin. Let's not, it's not the fine china, right? Like they're making more of it no matter how good it is. And so open the good bottle, use the good ice and the good glass every time and just really enjoy it.
0: So if you could be anywhere drinking right now, where would it be? And what would it be?
1: You know, I am lucky that I've traveled a ton and had some great cocktails at some great places. And thinking now there's one drinking experience that I've come to love that I miss a lot. And that's that I'm a runner. I'm a competitive ultra runner, which means these really long races on trails. And there's this 50 kilometer race here in St. John's, Newfoundland that I love called the East Coast Ultra Marathon. And it ends at a bar and that bar is called linda's place in kitty viddy here in st john's newfoundland and labrador and it's not a fancy cocktail bar this is a little it's more almost more of a museum it's it's tiny and dark and the walls are littered with a thousand things that everything has a story but it's the finish line so you get to run 50 kilometers on this brutal trail and then you cross the finish line into this bar and you get an ice cold beer and pop the top and and gosh, do I ever miss that experience? And so if I could be drinking anything, it would be a, a cold beer at Linda's place, the interval here in Kitty Vitty, at the end of a 50 kilometer run.
0: Do you think that they made the run specifically end at that bar to get
1: people to do the run? <laughs> so the, it's part of the experience for sure. Right? There's, it's, this is going to sound crazy, but there's a chili cook that happens all day long while you're out on the trail running. There's these beautiful people cooking chili in this bar and you get in there and you get a bowl of hot chili and some homemade fresh bread and an ice cold beer. And then if you're like me, you sit around and talk to your pals about why you didn't run as fast as they thought you would.
0: <laughs> I, think I would even run that. And I am not a runner just to get the chili and that ice cold beer. It sounds divine. It's great. So I so thank you for jo- telling your story. And uh, cheers to everything that you've just said.
1: Cheers. That's great. Yeah, everybody enjoy it. You know, the first chance we get, let's all run into the streets and hug and kiss each other.
0: Absolutely, I can't wait to be over there and meeting you personally. So thank you again for being on the show. Thank you. As we move southwest to New Brunswick, we delve into the hidden gem of Atlantic Canada, with its beautiful coastline, charming fishing towns, and epic national parks. It's also home to Canada's oldest farmer's market in St. John, which promises some pretty amazing local beers and spirits. Our guest, Sébastien Wa is one of those making amazing and award-winning beers and spirits. He is owner and president, master distiller and master brewer of the first distillery in New Brunswick, the Distillerie Fils du and it all began with his first sip of absinthe. Well, maybe a bit before that. I'll let Sebastian tell you. I'm so excited to have you here today. And I can't wait to hear all about the distillery, how you started. Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and how you even got into the drinking world?
2: I have been passionate by producing of alcohol since the age of 14. People don't remember, but long time ago, before internet and Google and all those apps, there was books in the houses. And my parents had bought an encyclopedia. And there was a certificate saying that all that knowledge would come to me when I would be older. So I started to look in those books. And eventually, I found uh, a book on a fermentation, uh, italic fermentation. And when I read it, it was pretty simple. Water, sugar, yeast in a closed container, and that would produce alcohol. So I read it a couple of times before I dare to mix everything together. But one day, my parents were outside, so I took the biggest jar my mother had, and I poured some water in, some sugar, and she had yeast to make bread. So I put pitching in, and I hide that in my closet. The day after, when I took out the jar from my closet in the basement, it was moving inside the jar. <gasps> At that time, I was so amazed. It's
0: a good thing you could have blown up the whole house. I you know. know. It's also so funny that you, of all the things in the encyclopedia, because I'm sure it was a big encyclopedia, you chose to do that one thing. It's like it's faded. I you know. were meant to be in the alcohol industry.
2: But the feeling I had when I saw the liquid inside the jar moving was just the beginning of something greater. I was very impressed by having created life. Because for me at 14, if it was moving, it was alive. So for me, there was no doubt it was alive. And I I created that life. But at that same time, I was very, but very scared. Because the adult at that time were saying, if you produce alcohol, you can't become blind. And I didn't want to become blind because of that experiment. So never I drank it. Never I would want it to go close to my eyes. I was so scared. So eventually... Oh, thank goodness. I I know. The encyclopedia was not mentioning how you become blind. So that was even (laughs) scarier. So eventually, I became. <laughs> I went to university in business, and that's where I learned that when you ferment sugar, you can't become blind. And I, I, I was doing. I had a little closet at university, and I had all my equipment, and I was fermenting a wine, beer, uh, different product. I was able to ferment.
0: You must have been super popular.
2: Yes, exactly. I learned a lot of things at university, but one of the things I learned is when you produce alcohol, you have a lot of friends. And they were coming normally on Friday, especially beer that I was producing and share it with my friend. It was a very, very nice time. I did a lot of error during those experiments in my closet at university. But after I finished university two years after, I started to partner with another colleague from university. He was a microbiologist, and we started our first company. It was in 2004. It was a nano brewery called Acadie Brew that still exists today. And we did that together until 2011.
0: Now, were you also doing a separate job, or you just went right into making beer, doing the, the brewery?
2: It was a nano brewery. Around the size of 80 liters. So we had to have a oh, okay. real job. It was right. more fun. It was a passion. Huh? At a scale that was a real business register. with, the, with It was a real thing. It was, it was all the inspection. Everything was done as a real brewery, but it was tiny. So in 2011, tiny. my friend wanted to stay it as it is. 80 liter, nano brewery. That's what he loved. And me, I was in business. So I said, we will never, but never be able to make money with 80 liter. We need to have bigger. So that's where we separate. And you still have that same brewery today, the same 80 liter nano brewery. And me, I started with my mother, Distillerie Fils du Roi. It was a tiny garage with one steel and we were doing that during weekends until 2016, where I had to took a, a choice. The brewery was big with uh, distillery brewery. There was a lot of component at that time, so be, I became a a master brewer, master distiller in 2016, and I was starting to know about master of the she. The she is the, the the space with all the the whiskey barrel, and you need to to do some wedding and there, there's some work in aging uh, whiskey. So I was starting in 2016 to learn about
0: it. Now, being a brewer is way different than being a distiller. What made you decide that that was the path that you wanted to go into?
2: Brewing beer and beer always have been a great, big passion. We traveled the world for, we were beer hunters. We traveled the world in the early 2000s before I had kids uh, and just go in brewery all around the world in a very tiny place and to just to try their beer. And one of that trip was in Germany for one month. We went to 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 wow. go all around Germany, and we stopped in Czech Republic that just is beside. It. And we went to Prague, and we were like a little bit. It was the third week, a little bit fed up of beer every day all the <laughs> time. So we said, let's do a change. And so my my business partner at that time, Patrice Godin. He said, let's go try absinthe, and I said, what is absinthe? He said, it's only legal currently in Czech Republica and in Spain, in Europe. And he told me it was green, made with uh, wormwood, and uh, big stories. Yeah. I said, don't, I don't mind, let's go. And we went to an absinthe bar. But well, when I saw the fountain, those nice glass, the spoon, the sugar, the fire, it was green. I said to my friend, I said, we are in the wrong business. It's not a brewery we should be in, it's a distillery. And that is the stuff we should produce in Canada. He said, You had too many drinks. Let's continue with the beer. So, but when I came back to Canada, I had a garden behind the house and I took out my carrots and the p- potato and all the vegetable I had. And I started to plant uh, wormwood, isopus, melis, uh, anise, all this, the spice I was able to grow in Canada during the summer. And I registered uh, still with uh, Revenue Canada and I started to. Small batch, but I started to to learn about how to produce absinthe and the complexity of it and and harvesting the absinthe at the right moment. And it was it was a, it was it was a lot of very very creative moment. So in two thousand eleven, my mother had difficulty to with her employment. She was in a printing industry, and printing was not going well at that time. So I said, we need a plan B, and have one. Let's start a distillery and let's be absinthe producer. And she said yes.
0: Uh, had she had absinthe before?
2: No, she had no clue what it was.
0: <laughs> I have a question for you. You had you had it this one time in the Czech Republic. When you came back, how did you know how to find that one specific flavor that you wanted to create? Did you just always think that you would know how to do it? Because nope. of your history of brewing?
2: Again, I did like I did always since the age of 14. I read. I went to encyclopedia in the, the Library of France. It's on online. And I went to some different books of literature about how to produce absinthe. What are the flaws? How to troubleshoot an absinthe? What flavor you will do if you don't do something or if you do something? And just by, mm-hmm. with, with just those information, I had the good information of how to to dose a little bit the absinthe and what type of taste and then it was to try to find absinthe in in those years it was it was not popular it was barely legal it was uh, it was <laughs> difficult so to produce mine was uh, was something that was very rewarding it was to create something with instruction from the past that is is like a for, it's forgiven, practically a spirit and and to Put it uh, again alive, and and to to grow those botanics that compose that spirit was was a lot of of pleasure.
0: How was it received? Was it just you drinking it, or did you find a whole audience for it?
2: Well, I think I was the only one that liked it because everyone preferred <laughs> my gin, and they say, "Oh, your absinthe is good, but your gin is fantastic." And and I was trying to push and push my absinthe, but. People really just prefer the gin and I went to a competition. So
0: you were also creating gin? Because when I left you, you were just creating absinthe. Did you also want to create gin at the same time?
2: No, it it was an accident. There was some botanic I was not able to grow like star anise. I can't grow that in Canada. It's impossible. Or it would be difficult, maybe not impossible. So there was a catalog and I was looking at all the type of botanic I, I needed for my distillery and at one page there were juniper and I look at that and I say ah juniper it, it sounds familiar I think they produce gin with it. and I continue and then I came back and I said let's let's buy two bags I will I will do an experiment one day when I have time I will just put that in the still and and try to do gin and that's it so I I had those back at the distillery in the corner and I was producing my absinthe and one day we had like a lot of absinthe so I said I don't have anything to do let's let's open those juniper bags and I I mix it with all botanics I liked no big research nothing fancy just just spontaneously I just dose and I I it was lucky I wrote it sometimes I, I don't wrote and I write it and I just pitch in so and it turned out that I, I bought a clear bottle because I never wanted to have a mistake and someone having my absinthe was in dark bottle and it tastes gin. So I really separate both. So when I had family members at the distillery looking at my absinthe, they they were asking me what is in the clear bottle, and I was saying no, 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 that <laughs> is an experience. It's it's a try gin. I just 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 for fun. And they say I want I want to try it. So I uh-huh. said yes, and eventually they say, I like your absinthe, but I want a bottle of gin. That's that's the product I want. So eventually I made labels, and and people were coming to buy my absinthe, and sometimes they were taking gin. So I sent them to competition. I sent the absinthe to a competition in uh, San Francisco in 2013. And at Canada Post, the lady said it it was like $300 to send that to to united so I said whoa, that's it's a lot of my budget so she said two bottle or six bottle or eight bottle it will see, it will be approximately the same price so i said wait i will go i will come back so i went to the distillery and i registered my gin and a pastis that i was doing so it was six bottles. and it was practically the same price to send that to to san francisco when the result came back it was a silver medal for the absinthe a silver medal for the pastis and a double goal for the gin and i said oh my god my my absinthe did terrible even my gin did better so i said no that that something is wrong so i sent to another competition in london and practically same result came back so (laughs) eventually people heard about it and i became a, a gin producer but i was trying very hard to push the absinthe but that's not what people wanted
0: you know, it's really, really rare that I meet someone who can do both the, fu- the you know, the founding of or launching of a brand and also being its head distiller at the same time and having the ability to, to be able to taste something that all, you know, it turns around and it wins medals. You know, you obviously have a palette for these wonderful flavors. And I was wondering when you were younger, were you cooking or was your mom cooking? Did you did you try, you know, to play with flavors at all?
2: I come from a family that when we gather, we would normally share taste, flavor, drinks, cheese. We we like to share, share and taste. And with alcohol, because of practicing and reading, I'm able to put the words to taste that I, I can feel. So we all have the same nose. We all have the same mouth. But it's not everyone that can put the words to what they feel uh, when they have the flavor in, in close to their nose or in, in their mouth. So, yes, I, I always have been good to identify flavor. And by doing the distillation it was an annex of being able to to express myself with flavors and share those flavor with other people than my my family so yes i always have been good uh, to identify flavor but i'm i'm not saying that i have a better nose or better taste than any other people i think it's the same as others only i can't put words
0: Well, I'm not sure. I think you're being modest because I don't think I could create an award-winning, you know, a double gold-winning gym. Now, you said your family, you're from New Brunswick, and that is the home of the Acadians. It's part of Atlanta, Canada that actually speaks French as well. And I'm wondering how much of that heritage you bring into your spirits.
2: (sighs) history was one of the only thing i was good at at school i was very i was always very close not not to pass always one to five points that it was just enough to always to go to the second grade always had difficulty with french always have difficulty with english with mathematics with everything except history history I was doing the same as all the other uh, class. I was just there listening, taking notes. But for some reason, it stayed. I was the best of the class in history, but poor and everything else. So when it came to name the product for my my company, I had all those stories fresh in my head. And it was very easy to say, let's talk about that tradition. Let's talk about the native and how they were producing aneda and how it saved the, the first colony that came here from Europe. So I had I, I always have mixed flavor, but also history to all of my products.
0: And um, can you tell us a little bit about that history?
2: Yes. For example, I did last year a paint. It's the only paint that ex- exists of Le Sûr de Sûrdement was an entrepreneur in, French, in France, and he, he invested a lot of money. And he, he, he had three ships, and he went here in 1604, and it started the first establishment, the, French, the first French establishment at Lille-Sainte-Croix. It was terrible, so they went to Port-Royal, that became the capital of Lacadie until 1713. But there were no painting of that, 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 that gentleman. So last year we we made a very nice paint for people for the next generation to remember that person. So, but he was a Protestant in the wrong time in France that the, the, it, it became Catholic, and he was forgotten. Is one of his uh, employees is this cartographer and navigator that got all the credit Samuel de Champlain. But Samuel was de Champlain was only one of his employees, but he got all the credit was forgotten uh, in history so mm-hmm. i bring him back in even with the paint different captain different people that that have no face that i'm producing face for them and and i use that as a label for my for my for my label and the artists know that they will give for educational purpose those images to everyone
0: oh that's fabulous so when your mother was starting to change careers and you bought the distillery, you created this distillery, had other than the absinthe and the gin by accident, had you thought of creating other products?
2: To create is is what reward me. Money, I have money to to live. I have enough money for my house, for my car, for to buy the grocery and everything. That's it. That's what I need. Really, what reward me is to create. It's it's a, a great satisfaction. So yes, I produce rum, I produce single malt whiskey, single pot steel whiskey. I'm producing a different type of spirit, different type of beer. I like just to 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 bring things together. I I start last year a malt house. It's the first malt house here in New Brunswick, and a lab to produce our own yeast. I really want to be able Uh to create everything, every step of the production of alcohol. I want to have a total control and creativity on each of those steps.
0: And do you find uh, a lot of the ingredients in New Brunswick around where you live, other than the ones that you've grown?
2: Yeah, uh, it depends. Like for, there's some like cinnamon, for example. I would never be able to grow that. So if I put some in my gin, I... I have to to get supplied by a country that that produce cinnamon, but most of it that I can grow i I will grow it I will grow my hop I will grow my barley I will grow my rye to do a Canadian rye whiskey. I will grow everything I can really to learn from the from the ground up to the bowl how to to manipulate those ingredients and how to create something from it and even i I did uh, i even change a little bit the rules here in Canada. It's not to change, but I push a little bit the law. In the production of whiskey, normally we age the whiskey at around 70% in the oak barrel or barrels. And after it's done, after minimum of three years, we can take out the whiskey and we normally cut it with water to bring it to around 40% alcohol or depend. So I challenged that and I said, because the law doesn't specify its water. So I said, can I mix my whiskey after it's done with the beer used at the beginning of the process. And there was nothing in the law that was a That didn't permit me that. So they agree. And I call that an Acadian whiskey. So it's made with the same beer used at the beginning of the process to to produce the whiskey. That is what is mixed with the final product. So it gives very nice banana flavor, apple flavor in, in the smell. And it adds some sweetness, but very lightly sweetness in the taste. So that was a little bit like innovation in the world that is very strict in terms of rule and regulation here in Canada. I like always to push it.
0: It sounds delicious. Yeah. Now, have you seen the taste of the people who buy your things change? You know, are more people drinking the absinthe now? Or do you find that they're just still going to the gin and it's hard to convert them over?
2: With time, I learned one thing. Marketing makes really the big difference. So... The taste of people is influenced by marketing. So I don't put a lot of, of marketing in app site. We like to do it. We, la- we like to keep it small. Everything I do, I like to keep it small, but to do a lot of small things altogether. So, but with, with information, with what I call marketing, you can change the taste of people just by having more more visibility on that product. Yes.
0: Yeah. Speaking of that, let's go back a little. We didn't really discuss the name of the distillery and where that came from. How did you decide what to call it? Because you were doing it with your mother, you know?
2: Yeah, it was at a fire when we started the small discussion about the economy here (gasps) in the region. It was not going well and we needed a plan B. I I suggested to be absent producer. It would be tiny. And then my mother asked me, how would you call that company? And I said, that's a good question. So it took me a couple of days to think about it. And because I wanted to use the old technology, so copper pot steel, it's no technology, it's just a big pot of copper uh, with a helmet, and that's it. So I look in the past in England, in Paris, in, in, in Europe, how was a distillery? What was the name of a distillery? And it was very simple it was distillery. And your last name and son. So it would be Disterri, Roi, and son. So in French, it's Disterri, Roi, et Fils. But I had a daughter. She was <laughs> around one year old. I said, I can't do that to my daughter. That, that was a long time ago. Now the name of a business cannot be Roi and Son. So that's where I switch the Roi and Son for Fils. Du the son of of the roi so it became distillery fils du roi the distillery son of the king that's my last name king yeah. it sounds like uh-huh. an old name of a distillery yeah. because they have that that son in it and the last name but that's that's how it came distillery fils du roi
0: how old is your daughter
2: now She's ten year old, and she's very proud of the distillery, and she is uh, she she accept the name now. But that, that was that was uh, at the beginning, the foundation of the of the of the vision of the
0: distillery. Yes, and watch out, she may be hiding little jars of things. Yes. Oh, I warn I warn her! I want to be there to do that. <laughs> You've given me some cocktail recipes, and I was wondering when you were um, creating your spirits, did you always have ideas of cocktails that you wanted to create to go with the spirits?
2: I have to say that cocktail production is something that I'm starting to know more and more, and and I, I really believe I, I really came to the conclusion that I consider producing cocktail as a form of art. It's, it's to create. And that creation, I like to do it. When I read the definition of art, it's, it's, it is a diverse range of human activity involving the creation, which express the creator's imagination, conceptual idea, or technical skills. It's intent to be appreciated, particularly for its beauty and emotional power. And for cocktail, it's all of it. And that's why now I'm starting to create cocktail because I found tasting a wonderful cocktail is, is a way to express, to create, to appreciate, and definitely it's a form of art. And, and I really do start to like it, but very basic. I'm, I'm not in the technical <laughs> skill yet, but I like and I learn to appreciate it especially when I see someone that can really express uh, it, it himself with a cocktail and with all of, sometimes it's very beautiful. I, I have a lot of respect and I, I, I try to learn, but there's so many things I'm trying to learn all at the same time that cocktail is one of those.
0: Well, speaking of learning things, does that mean that you can tell us what you're next creating at the distillery? Or is it a secret? My,
2: my next creation, I'm working right now in, in a beer that will be created 100% from our site. The malt, the barley, the water, everything. So it's symbolic. It's a sign of self, self-sufficient. And it's not every brewery around the world that can say that they created a beer that is from 100% from their production site. That is one of the projects we're working on. Another project we are working on is a single malt whiskey, but we're working on producing our own barrels made with uh, maple, maple tree. We have a lot of maple tree here in Canada, especially on the land where we are. So to, to learn how to produce barrel, that's, that's the last step I need to master to do a whiskey 100% from my, my production site. I'm not there yet, but I'm working on it.
0: Well, just knowing you, I have a feeling it's going to be fantastic and you're going to be the best at it. So you can you give me some top tips for the home bartender?
2: For me, what I would provide as a, a tip or a trick is, is to have fun. You never know that pleasure to create cocktail may become a passion and that passion can transform in joyful activity to share with others. And I believe anything you do for fun will taste greater, will look greater, and will bring you more satisfaction. So my tip would be to have fun. That's great.
0: Now, if you could be anywhere in the world having a drink, where would that be right now?
2: I thought about that, and I believe it would be in Oaxaca in Mexico. They're producing an alcohol that I'm very fascinated by. The traditional way they're producing mezcal it's a 100% agave. And they dig a big hole and then they send those agave in the hole and they start to burn them and then they cover it. And then they wait three days and then they take them out. And normally they will crush it with a big stone that a donkey roll around. Each time I go to Mexico in the region of Oaxaca, when I see how they produce, that the mezcal, I I am always very 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 inspired, and there's a specific place called La Casa de Mezcal. Uh, that's a bar downtown the city of Awaka. That's where I would like to be. And there's a snow snowstorm today in Canada. There's probably no snowstorm in Awaka
1: currently. <laughs>
0: Absolutely not. I want to join you there. I'm dying to go there too. So that's a great one. So I can't wait to come back and see you again. Thank you so much for joining me on the show.
2: It was my pleasure.
0: It was great to have Dan and Sebastian here with me on Lush Life. And thanks so much to Atlantic Canada for arranging everything. Since we have two guests, of course, we should have two cocktails of the week. Our first cocktail of the week is the one I was enjoying with Dan during our chat, the original Third Place Cocktail Company Tonic and Gin. Add one ounce of the Third Place Cocktail Company Tonic and two ounces of your favorite gin, Dan prefers a London Dry Gin, to a rocks glass filled with ice. Then top it up with two ounces of fizzy water and stir gently to combine. Done. Sebastian's Cocktail of the Week is called I Am Not Driving and contains his award-winning Gin Toya. Take a highball glass or big wine glass full of ice and add 50 ml of Gin Toya. Add to that 2 ounces of cranberry juice and 2 ounces of raspberry juice. Top it up with Sprite, 7-Up or lemonade, then garnish with a branch of Toya Occidentalis, or edible evergreen, and a slice of orange. Both of these are Atlantic Canada in a glass. You'll find these recipes and all the cocktails of the week at lushlifemanual.com where you'll find all the ingredients in our shop. It's such a shame that I never spent more than seven weeks in Canada and all of that in Montreal making a film. I keep saying, once we get a handle on coronavirus, I am on that plane. So if you live for Lush Life, make sure you're giving back to the bars or restaurants you love by donating or taking part in cocktail or food delivery where you live. Theme music for Lush Life is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. And Lush Life is always and will be forever produced by Evo Terra and Simpler Media Productions. Which leaves me to say the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation, and always drink responsibly and wash your hands and wear a mask. Next time, we head to two more regions of Atlantic Canada, Nova Scotia, and Prince Edward Island to meet two more industry folks who are shaking up the scene. Until that time, bottoms up.